<laughs> I'm glad you asked. So I believe Jesus' promise is true. His track record is incredible. And he's still building. He's still building an overcoming church. But here's the thing I want to, to talk to you about. Even though he is building and strengthening his church, and he's been doing it through all circumstances, every time it looked like there was some sort of darkness that was coming in that could not be overcome, Jesus built his church right through it. But even though the church is strong and vibrant and growing in many places of the world right now, it doesn't mean it's true everywhere. We've seen how there's been a shift from the northern hemisphere, which was the hotbed of Christianity in a certain uh, time in history. But now it's gone to the global south. So you see the growth is in the green shoots of growth, the strongest bits of growth are happening in, in South America. They're happening in Africa. They're happening in Asia. And what once was the, one of the strongest places in Christianity, Europe, has been in decline for a while. So the question is not whether Jesus is building his overcoming church. He is. The question is, where is he building it? And the personal question that we, I want to ask today is whether we will allow Jesus to build Hillcrest into the kind of overcoming church that he wants it to be. The Apostle Paul described the church in Ephesians 4 as Christ's body. He's the head, we are the body. And that's what, we, what uh, Pastor Dave read to us. And Jesus, he told his disciples, one of the great things he did was he told his disciples, I'll be leaving you. And of course, you can imagine his friends and disciples that that would be terrible news. But he, he, he told them, no, 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 this is great news. This is great news. You remember when I said that uh, you will do even greater things that I have done? Well, when I leave, you're going to get another one to come. You're going to be sad that I've left, but you're, I'm going to give you another comforter. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to fill you and overflow you and flow through you. And you're going to take this message to the ends of the earth. And it's not just going to be you 12 and a few others. We're going to make disciples of all the nations. Through his body. Through his body. So he had a physical body. God himself, incarnate, come into a physical body just like yours, ten fingers, ten toes, gets tired. But now he's operating through the body that is his followers. I remember hearing a song when I was a teenager, we are his hands, we are his feet. And I remember just thinking about that. Wow, wonder what kind of hands we are. Are we pretty dependable hands? Wonder what kind of feet we are. Are we strong feet? What kind of body does Jesus have in the world today? If he's the head and we are the body, what kind of body does he have to work with? And what kind of body does he want to work with? And what kind of body does he desire to build Hillcrest to be? In Ephesians 4, Paul describes the attributes of this body, what it should be like. Mature, united, held together, equipped, and built up. It reminds me of an old 1980s uh, Saturday Night Live sketch where they, did these, they had these two guys who were like a Arnold Schwarzenegger knockoffs. Their names were Franz and Hans. Does anybody remember this? Okay, you're showing your age. All right? Franz and Hans. And their goal was to bump you up, right? They were going to bump you up. And they would see guys like me and they say, you're a girly man. You're a girly man. You need to be pumped up, right? We're going we're gonna to pump you up. Look at your skinny legs. We're going to pump you up. Well, Ephesians 4 doesn't say exactly that God wants to pump up the church, but it does say he wants to build it up. I, I was thinking about that, just playing in my mind. Can you imagine if we use the descriptions in Ephesians 4 to describe the church? We say, man, that church is mature. Man, that church is united. Man, that church is held together. Man, that church is equipped. Man, that church is built. I like that one. God wants strong local churches that will be part of his global church that will overcome the gates of hell. He wanted that in Ephesus, and that's why the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians. But, of course, he's preserved that word for us today because he wants that in Moose Jaw. So how does he initiate the building up of his body? 
Let's read Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what he did was he gave leaders who by God's grace are gifted in different ways in different areas to equip the church. Uh-oh, here comes another pastor saying that we should listen to them. Remember last week, Doug Sigliko? Oh, no, Doug Sigliko is requ- retired, and he's still saying the same stuff, so it must be true. I'm going to share one of my favorite verses from last week, and half of it is just like, oh, yeah, and then the half is, oh, no. I'm getting dry mouth, so I'm going to get water. So hang on. Hebrews 13, 17 is what I'm going to read. There, you had time to read it yourself. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for this would be of no benefit to you. I'm here to say this morning that my work is a joy. My work is a joy. As a church, um, it's not just my work. It's the work of the other pastors who lead alongside of me and the elders and those who lead departments. I think most of us experience, generally our experience has been, we have great joy in leadership in the church. Because there's some things that Hillcrest does well very well. In fact, that's what I'm here to talk about today. The things that we do well. We, we've, done a, we've gone on a two-year journey of getting ready to cast vision for the next five years. And that's actually what I'm here to talk about today. I'm going to talk about, this is, I'm going to do three weeks where I'm just going to talk to you about Hillcrest Next. Hillcrest Next. The next five years. Some of the goals that we're putting out there, some of the things we, are call, we think we're, we're called of God to achieve. And just a little bit of a talk about who we are. That's actually what today is. Who are we? Uh, often organizations, when they get to this point, they, they write out their core values. They say, this is who we are. But it's not always true. Often they're, trying, they're talking about who they want to be. I, I, I'm going to share three things with you today that I think we are. Not perfectly. Not perfectly. But I think there are things that were true in the past in Hillcrest. I think they're true in the present. And they'll continue to be true in the future. And these are the good things that we are. Some of the good things that we are. And so that's what I'm sharing with you today, talking about who we are. See, I get to oversee the equipping, along with a great team of leaders. I get to oversee the equipping of people to serve God and to serve others. And this is a joy, but it's also a great responsibility. If you, if you read that uh, verse that Doug had shared with us last week, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. It's a joy, but there's a weight to it. Um, I give an account quarterly to our elders. I report on uh, the achievement of strategic goals that we've set for our church, mainly just to accomplish our mission. How many of you guys, can you do this with me? What's our mission statement? See if you can recite it with me. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. Okay, that's our, that's our mission statement. If you hadn't heard it before, you're probably impressed that many people knew it. I'm impressed that many people knew it. I was excited. I didn't know if I'd be all on my, all on my lonesome today, but I definitely was not. See, you're an awesome church. It's great. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. So that's what I report on every quarter. I come before the elders and I say, hey, here's how we're, we're doing in seeing people reconciled to God and seeing people become mature, become discipled, become like Jesus. That's, and so I, I am accountable in that way. But I'm, I'm also, the greater accountability is to God himself. Is to God himself. The elder's authority in my life is an accountability to God in a way. But also, uh, it says that I'll, I'll be held accountable to God. And that's a weight. That's a weight. I was at a wedding this summer, and um, uh, Aaron Hills, if you know who Aaron Hill is, he got married. He was awesome. Finally married Bailey. Yes, it was awesome. And it was a great wedding out in Lethbridge. And uh, after the ceremony was over, I was chatting with some people, met a nice young couple, and they were talking to me about 
COVID. We all talk about COVID, going through COVID. What was it like going through COVID? And they asked me a really penetrating question. They said, you're a pastor. If you could rewind the tape and do COVID all over again, what would you do different? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. And I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking of things we did well as a church and maybe a few things I did well. Mostly you guys did well. I did okay. And then I thought of a lot of areas where I wish I'd done things different. Lots of ways where I wish I'd been stronger or given more clear leadership or, or we'd done this strategy instead of this strategy. You, know, you always, in leadership, if you're on any leadership team, you know you can't live in the past too much or you just get frozen in the present. But you can live. There's a lot of regrets you can have. So I remember I was sitting there and going, oh, uh, you know, I'm fumbling over my answer. And the mother of the groom, Lori Hill, was sitting there and she just like, everybody at Hillcrest. She just got that gracious Hillcrest DNA. She said, oh, our pastor, talk about me, our pastor did such a good job. He taught us to listen for the voice of God. And in COVID, that was so helpful to us. We just listened to the voice of God and did what he said. I was like, that is grace. I mean, grace is getting more than you deserve, right? That is more than I deserve. I thought that was an incredibly gracious response. But she was talking about equipping the church. And I thought, Lord, Help us in this next season to really, really, really equip the church. I've been thinking about um, after the instability of COVID. I mean, could we have ever imagined that our world would be turned so topsy-turvy and, and, and really destabilized as much, it, as much as it has been in the last couple of years? Maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you're... You, because you're an introvert, you just sailed through and you loved it and you wish it would last forever. But there's a few of us who are dying to get out. <laughs> Extroverts. So after the instability of COVID and many, and there's been some concerning developments. I mean, I've talked to many of you about the things that concern you and I've got concerns and wonders and, and worries come to me too. They're destabilizing. They feel like, uh, is the future good? Or what are we looking, is it going to be utopian or dystopian? So I've got many questions that weigh on me. I'm going to just share you a little bit of my inner workings here. This is not all of it, but I'm going to share some of the questions that weigh on me. Number one, how do we future-proof the church? How do we equip people to be strong and effective in God and in his mission no matter what comes? I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about any obstacle, any obstacle that could come. How do we future-proof the church for any obstacle? obstacle. How do we use this window, this second chance that God has graciously given us to future-proof the church? How long is it? I don't know. It might be really long. It might be really short. I have no idea. How can a, here's another one. How can a big church equip people so that they can reproduce themselves in a scenario where the big church is taken out of the picture? I'm not talking about the people being taken out of the picture. I'm talking about the building maybe not being accessible like we experienced this last year. That could be for many reasons. What, if, what about if you can't access the programs of the church? Maybe what if you can't access the leadership of the church? You know, the church in China went through that experience. A lot of the, the leadership in China was, was um, missionaries who'd come over. And uh, they used to call it the Rice Church. And that wasn't a compliment because what happened was when missionaries came from North America and Europe to China, they brought two things. They brought the gospel and they brought social assistance because there's many impoverished people in China. And so if you were part, became part of a church community, you not only got the gospel, but you got rice. So they call it the rice church. They, they were saying, these people, who knows whether they're really followers of Jesus? They're probably just here for the free meal. Well, that got tested because the cultural revolution swept through all of the foreigners were ejected, which was the core, the, it was the majority of the leadership of the Chinese church was ejected from the, from the nation. Will this church that's built on rice, as they said, will it stand now that the rice is gone and the leadership is gone? And it looked like for a while it wouldn't. I mean, the persecution was so fierce and continues to be fierce to this day. Now, I was looking at stats recently and some it's, people are really estimating. They're trying their best to guess because the church had to go underground. Much of the church in China, uh, part of the church is just completely government-controlled or very strictly government-controlled. The other part has just gone underground. And there's some who estimate that 100 million 
100 million Chinese people now claim to be Christians. 100 million. I read one little article where they're saying there, there's coming a day when the number of Christians in China will probably exceed the number of Christians in the United States. I mean, the rise of China, I think a lot of people see it as a bit of a dark cloud because their human rights records is not good. But there's a bit of a silver lining. And the silver lining is that Jesus is building an overcoming church. He's still building. And so they must have done something right. Somehow the gospel was planted. Well, obviously Jesus was doing something right. But somehow that church that looked like it would fall apart when the rice was gone has gotten stronger and stronger over the years. So if we lose our rice, our programs, our buildings, if I'm Zooming you from prison someday, I'm not, I say it sort of as a joke and I also realize it might be a reality. You know, I have to hold that tension. Will the church overcome? Will the church overcome? So that's what we're grappling with. That's what we're thinking with. What training and equipping should we be prioritizing? What essentials do we want everyone to grow in? What are the essentials that a disciple of Jesus should grow and mature into? And how do we make things as reproducible as possible? I've been thinking about that word, reproducible, because I thought it's not just that persecution could come or, or you know, pandemics could come or different things could come to disrupt the church. It's just the reality of we're a very mobile people. So if you come to a big church that has big church programs, and absolutely, I absolutely love that we have big church programs. I hope you really participate in them and enjoy them. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But what if your job moves out of town? It goes somewhere else, and it ends up in Podunk, Saskatchewan. I don't know if that's a real name of it, but Podunk, you know, you've probably lived there. Some of you grew up in Podunk, right? You end up in Podunk, Saskatchewan, and you're like, there's no big church. There's barely a church, or maybe there isn't a church. There's no church programs. How can we equip you with the essentials of being a disciple of Jesus so that you can still expand the kingdom of God? You say, well, I couldn't do it without that great worship band. I couldn't do it without that awesome youth programming. I couldn't do it without... Praise God for the things that we have. Let's utilize them. Let's milk them for all we can get. Well, we have them. But there's an equipping that needs to happen in every saint, in every person, so that they can, as as Lori said, they can hear God's direction in their life. They can read the words of Scripture, and then they can walk in obedience to that. And so we want to equip. We're called to equip. In fact, we'll be held accountable to God on how we equip. So on my, I went on a parental leave. I was gone for three months. Nobody noticed because it went so well at the church. It was awesome. That's great. That Hebrew series was dynamite. I came every week. I was just here to participate. I was a participant for three months, and I didn't lead. And it was great. Uh, it was my parental leave. You get that when someone's born or you adopt someone. So I'm here to, if you didn't know that, our daughter is now our daughter. And that was, ex- that was exciting. She's four years old, and she's our daughter now. Yeah. They're different than boys, I noticed. Anyhow, I won't say much more about that. <laughs> but it was exciting. That's why I went on parental leave, because we adopted our daughter. Her adoption went through. We went on three months parental leave. It's a government program. It's not a church program, just in case you're wondering. But while I was on that leave, I thought, no, I'm not going to do church stuff. I'm going to come to church. I'll enjoy it, but I'm not going to talk about leadership. I'm going to think, but except for one exception. I heard that um, a former missionary to Turkey who'd worked primarily with Muslims was going to offer um, a Zoom online training on starting a disciple-making movement, how to start disciple-making movements. And I I signed up for that, and I took that in, and the reason I took it in was because I wanted to answer this question. How do we make things as reproducible as possible? What are the essentials for disciples of Christ to, to grow in, to learn, to become proficient at, so that whether they're in Moose Jaw or Turkey or Podunk, Saskatchewan or any place on the planet, 
they have the skills, they have the understanding, they have the maturity, they have the growing life with Christ, they have the understanding of how the Spirit directs and guides them so that they can be part of building an overcoming church. That was the question I wanted answers to, and that's what I went after 10 weeks online, Zoom, with a missionary. What did you do in Turkey? How could you, how, how, incredible stories. I'll share some of them later, but, you know, I'll, I'll hint a little bit at the answer, and I think that you've already started catching on to this. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, it's not on, I didn't put it on the PowerPoint for this morning, but Jesus tells a story. There's two houses. A guy builds a house on a rock. A guy builds a house on sand. And then he tells them, what makes you the guy, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor for us. What makes you the guy who does it on sand? And what makes you the guy who does it on the rock? And he says, the guy who does it on sand actually hears Jesus' teaching. Does that surprise you? His house is built on sand. It's got no foundation. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fall down when the, when, the, when the rains and the storms come. But he did, it wasn't because he didn't listen to what Jesus said. He did hear Jesus' teaching. But his house collapsed. Then there's this guy who built his house on the rock. He also heard Jesus' teaching. Do any of you know what the difference was? What's the difference? What was the difference? You got your hand up. I love that. Micah, awesome. One listened to God and did what he said. If you don't do, if you, if you listen and just go, oh, I got more information. Your house is built on sand. If you listen and obey, now you're building on the rock. Now you're walking as a disciple. So today I'm going to talk about three things, three core values that I think define who we've been, who we are, and who we, we hope to continue to be. Uh, let me just quickly say this. Whenever I'm working with somebody on their marriage, whether that's, you know, they're trying to solve some problems in their marriage or, or they're getting ready to be married, they're newlyweds uh, or, or about to be newlyweds, they're in premarital counseling, I often talk about how to have a great team. Marriage is a team, you know. Great teams, you can think about this as sports or drama or any team you've been a part of that was a great team. They usually do two things well. One, they achieve great results, like they win the tournament or they, they do well in the drama festival or whatever the thing they're a part of as a team. Or they have a happy marriage. But they do well and great results and they, do, and they have a great relationship. Those are the two things. Ever been on a team where you won everything, but you just hated the people you played with? Some people's workplaces are like that. Numbers are up. Morale is down. <laughs> it's like, I've been taking one for the team so long that I don't want to be part of the team anymore. Well, I'm not trying to bring up, I'm not trying to twist something in your wounds or anything, like, but I'm just saying, this week I'm talking about the relational component of a great team, really. And next week I'm going to talk about, because I'm talking about how we're going to, where we're going, I'm going to talk about the results of a great team. And then the week after we're going to talk about some of the strategy, how we're going to get there. So this week I'm going to talk about the relationship piece. Having a great team starts with a great relationship. So these are three significant things that we do well at Hillcrest, and I think we need to continue to do well and even press into more. Let me talk about these, these core values, who we are. So we believe our core values, I'm going to list them for you and then I'm going to walk you through, our personal engagement, next generation focus, and interdependence. We see these being as true of Hillcrest past, present, and future. And we feel these are powerful and unique values at Hillcrest. Not every church walks in these things as well as you do. So I'm commending you today and encouraging you to double down on these things today. Personal engagement. 
What is that? It means we fully participate in the life of the church. We take next steps on the discipleship pathway. What discipleship pathway? We'll talk more about that in days to come. We receive and give ministry. We worship together, speak truth in love to one another. We receive the word, pray together. We share about our personal challenges, successes, and experiences. So three things. The people who embody this core value, this is what it looks like. They're passionate about the mission of Hillcrest Church. Now, it's not because it's the mission of Hillcrest Church. It's probably because the mission of Hillcrest Church, we've done as much as we can to make it just mirror the mission of Jesus Christ. We strive to see all people reconciled to God. That's the mission of Jesus. And mature in Christ. This is what Ephesians 4 is talking about. So we're, people embody this core value. They're passionate about the mission of Hillcrest Church, and they're eager to play their part. Those who are personally engaged ask how they can be involved. They offer their time, their gifts, and money to see the kingdom advance here at Hillcrest. You do this well. Here's the second part. Personal engagement is also about our relationships with one another. It's viewing Hillcrest, or viewing relationships as Hillcrest as that of a family. There's a sense of an ongoing commitment to each other. Each person becomes part of the Hillcrest family serving out of love, but also benefiting from the love and service of others. There's a giving and receiving that happens. It's being vulnerable, honest, and open with others in the family throughout the organization. This includes leaders. We need to be vulnerable and open and honest so we can all pursue greater health and wholeness together and live the abundant lives Jesus invites us to. And here's the last piece of personal engagement. The final piece of personal engagement is an eagerness to follow the guidance of the leadership at Hillcrest. We invite people to fully engage with their discipleship pathway, believing there's always a next step for everyone on their spiritual journey. Those that are personally engaged are willing and eager to participate. So that means like attend church. Or we often, sometimes we'll read, well, not often, but occasionally we'll, we'll recommend things that, to read. If you're a reader, read this book or just listen to this. Join a life group. Attend a seminar or retreat. And trusting that our initiatives will serve as a benefit to them and others. I want to just, as I was in the worship service this morning, this is the one that sort of God drew my attention to. As sometimes I'll ask the Lord, who am I speaking to? Who am I speaking to this morning? It's a, it's a fairly new practice, actually, for me. It's not, I haven't done it for a long time. But I started to ask, who am I speaking to? And um, I felt like the response, the answer, or the nudge that I felt was, it's people who, who, who struggle to trust. So that's what I was praying for in the worship service this morning, people who, who struggle to trust. And there's often good reasons why trust has been eroded. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're living in an untrusting environment. If you just, you know, there's a lot of people who are saying, I don't know if I can trust the government. I don't know if I can trust the uh, news media. I don't know if I can trust, you know, leaders. And so that distrust that permeates the culture comes into the church as well. So that's part of it. But I think for a lot of people who struggle to trust, it's bigger than that. It's that they've been burned. They've been hurt. They've been in a trusting relationship, and they got hurt because of it. And then it gets a lot harder the next time to trust. And that, I understand that. I understand that. In fact, many people even get hurt and burned in churches, right? So if you're here today and you're saying, well, the reason I don't trust leaders is because I remember that one leader, and he or she said, trust me, and then they weren't trustworthy, and they really weren't looking out for me, and they didn't have um, my good at heart. They were there for their own agenda. So I'm not standing up here to say, well, you can trust me because I'm perfect, because that's not true. But I think that there is a way in which if you've been burnt in the past and that trust has been eroded, that you can learn to, be, to take baby steps of trust again. I mean, you're going to be cautious naturally. I know that. But I don't, I would hate for you to be just totally dug in in your heels and you just, you said to yourself, almost like a curse over your life, I'll never trust again. Because that isn't going to bring health into your future. And so, you know that Canadians move every, like, I think 11 times in their lifetime. That's what, like, North Americans, that's the stat, 11 times. I was thinking about this stat because we've planned a five-year sort of discipleship plan for the next five years. And that's about how long people stay, five to seven years. On average is how long people stay in one location in North America. So, so some of you have been in Moose Jaw your whole life, and you're never leaving. Okay, you're up in the average. But some people move even more frequently than five to seven years. But let's just say that's our rule of thumb. 
Wouldn't it be amazing, I think this would be amazing, if you really have trouble trusting leaders, that in the next five years, let's just say you're only going to be here five years, suddenly your job's going to change, life's going to change, you're going to move somewhere else. But in those five years, you take some significant strides in learning how to trust, in learning how to be vulnerable. Maybe you're really closed in that area. You just can't open up. But you, you take some, 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 you know, just some steps, and you find out that people are gracious and that people do actually care about you and want good in your life. I mean, not perfectly. There's no perfect people at Hillcrest, by the way. Okay? That's not true. But you learn that there's a healthier way to live because you can actually be open and you can, you can receive. Some of you, maybe you, it's not that you've, you've, you've gone from relationship to relationship or maybe even come from a different church or something like that. Maybe you've been at Hillcrest for a long time, but you still feel that. You feel some sort of level of distrust. My prayer for you is that you learn to trust. You know what? I haven't trusted leaders all the way through my life. I haven't trusted, like, I was one of the three Atkins boys that got suspended from school. I got suspended three times. I have another brother who got suspended twice. And there's one brother who got completely expelled and could never return. All three of us are serving the Lord today. <laughs> I guess we knew we were sinners early. But I didn't trust. I didn't trust. I didn't follow leadership in high school. I don't know how many bad stories to tell you, because then now you won't trust me. But it didn't do me good. I remember getting kicked out of gym class. My conflict, I had a conflict with a gym teacher, and I just was disrespectful and untrusting and defiant. And I remember I, I, that's the only class I failed in high school because I was expelled from it. And I was kicked off the track team, which I love track. I remember after it was all said and done, I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Let me give you a... I'll just give you the paraphrase of it. Matthew 10, 41, Jesus says, anyone who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. What does it mean? There is good things for you if you can receive leadership, direction, mentoring, guidance from people who are good. There's great benefit in that. But if you're totally resistant to that, if you're, if you're stubbornly independent or if you're defiant or if you're just hurt and so you won't open up again, you won't get that blessing. If you're in the youth group listening to me, if you open up to Pastor Chris Drennan and JJ and those leaders, I think there's a blessing for you. This is the same in any, you've got a good leader or two in your life, whether it's your parents or church leadership or someone who can mentor you. There's a blessing if you receive what they've got. If it's good, it's good. But a lot haven't, you know, they, they say, well, I'm, I'm not really open to that. And so they don't get that reward. They don't get the blessing that's in that. So I pray for growing trust. You know, um, looking at my time here, but I'll tell you this story. Um, Ten years into Alan Buchanan's ministry. Now, the 80s was, you might not know our church history, the darker time, I would say, in our church history. Good things happened. People got saved, but the church went through one heck of a time. There were church splits. There were some moral failures. There was a mortgage that was squeezing the financial life out of the church. How did we get out of it? Well, Alan Buchanan came, and then there was a, a trusty band who came around him, and they just were trustworthy. And they, over the course of time, restored trust. And I came along in 2002, and Alan was about 10 years into his ministry here, and he had so changed the game when it came to trust because he was trustworthy, and people began to trust him. He had a significant shift he wanted to, uh, soon after I arrived, a significant shift he wanted to do. He said, you know what, we're starting to become a bigger church again. They dwindled down, and now it was growing. And he said, and in the big churches, you can't know everybody, so let's get into smaller groups so that you can be known. You can know people, and you can be known. And that's when it was the launch of life groups. And I remember as he was launching it at that time, I remember thought, well, people just might not do it. But they'd come to trust Alan. And so they did it. And, lots of, and that's how the life group ministry that we have today began. They trusted Alan. He'd restored trust. Trust was lost. And it was coming back. 
And so people said, well, let's, let's get organized into life groups. And, we'll, and, we'll, and, and even he was saying, and you know what? In the fall, we'll, do, we'll all do the same teaching together and we'll follow it in our life groups. I thought, you know, you're herding cats here. This might not go. People say, no, we're going to study whatever we want. But this personal engagement piece that has been in the DNA of the church for many years has started to show up again in strong ways. Not that it hadn't in the 80s, but it was starting to show up in stronger ways. And people said, yes. And so we got the blessing of that, people getting into groups and getting to know each other. And then, with this crazy idea, 2006, that we should leverage what we had, our ability to work together, the trust that was building, and let's do something for our community. And the, the, the thing that came up was that the food, bu- food bank was running out of food every year. Every summer, they ran out of food. And so after a discussion, we said, let's do a food drive. Halloween night, we'll hit every door in the city in two to three hours. And I knew lots of people were going, whoa, that's a, are you, this is a crazy plan. You think this is going to work? I talked to some of the people who said, I don't think this is going to work. This isn't going to work. I said, well, I don't know. Do you trust Alan? And people did. You know, we've done that for 16 years. Last year we didn't, last year we didn't get to do it physically, so we just, we put door hangers out and we prayed for the whole city and $65,000 came in. That was awesome. But in those 16 years, Daisy and I were just estimating that. It's a conservative guess, but I think it's accurate to say at least 700,000 pounds of food have been brought in by that food drive. Oh, 700, we haven't hit a million yet, but 700,000 pounds of food have been brought in because people said, I think I can trust that Allen guy. It's a crazy idea. But he must have thought it through a little bit. He hasn't let us down before. He's a guy of integrity and character. Maybe we should go with this. And the blessing has been for us to do something like that and the blessing for this day. There's so many things in... In our history, I'm not going to talk to all of them because I'm, I'm running out of time to get to the other two points. But there's so many big projects that we've done. Um, Hope has come last year. That was great. That drive-through that created the first real traffic jam in Moose Jaw, right? A kilometer down Thatcher. You could see it on Google Maps. You're like, we did that. Sorry. Anyhow, it was awesome, right? Uh, it was awesome. 2,500 people came through. Almost 1,000 cars heard the gospel in four different languages. Awesome. These are, I love those big things that we do together. I love them. I love them. I love when we, we pull together for big projects. And the reason we can do it is because of that value of personal engagement, that there's a level of trust. I don't want to do anything to jeopardize what Alan built. I know when Dave Wicks took over from Alan as a senior pastor here, he, he, he led well, didn't jeopardize that trust. And then I, I hold it very carefully not to do something so that you take a step back, but that we actually take steps forward. Because it's really important. I really feel it's not just the big things we do together that matter. It's the small things. It's how we equip you. So we shifted gears a few years ago. We started adding things like Hearing God Seminar Set Free, and then we added and then Alpha and Sling Training, and, and we went through the story and believe. All those were steps of trust. Will you trust us that we've got something good for you and that you'll receive a reward if you do it? If you walk through these things, and so many of you, I'm not saying everybody did it, but so many of you said, yes, I sort of trust these guys. I think there's a reward if I follow. Let me get to the second value. It's called the next generation focus. We will make significant sacrifices in order to pass on the faith to the next generation by means of excellent kids and student ministries, modern music, new methods of New methods and technology and whatever methods of communication and impartation are most relevant and effective. See, families are designed to launch the next generation into maturity. Like in Ephesians 4, it says, uh, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, the whole body, the whole body, not just the, the, 
body that's 30 and over. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you hear personal engagement in there, but you also hear this value of the next generation, the whole body. You know, God doesn't want to, like I think about how ineffective a body of an infant is. <laughs> in January, we took on a little foster boy into our house. He's still with us. He couldn't crawl at that point. Now he crawls and he walks like this, like a penguin actually. He just sort of walks like a penguin. Hey, that's good. It's maturity. It's good things that are happening. But, you know, I envision him someday running like Usain Bolt. You know, he's finishing first. You know, I, expect, I, I want him to grow to become a man and have all the capability that comes with maturity. And I kind of think if the body of Christ that Jesus is the head of in Moose Jaw is an infant's body, it's greatly reduced in its capabilities. But if it's the body, a mature body, I mean, we're talking about maturing physically, but also really mentally as well. That's what we're called to do. So parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles all play a part in teaching, equipping, and empowering the next generation, making whatever sacrifices are necessary to see that the next generation is set up for success. This doesn't devalue any age group. But rather, we believe this focus is life-giving to all generations. If you're older, you have tons to give. Tons to give. I, I keep begging builders and boomers, don't check out on us. Don't leave before you tell us the stuff we need to know. You have tons to give. Please keep giving. I'm going to be 50 in March. Can you believe that? I'm going to be 50 in March. I, and you'll be 13 in March, so we'll be celebrating together. All right. Happy birthday to us. Okay, that'll be great. So in March... I'm going to turn 50. You know, there's something historic and significant about 50 in my mind, but I'll probably just sleep through it anyhow. But uh, more and more, I'm going to be joining more and more the generation that's shifting away from my preferences, my desire, my music. So that my kids and your kids can be all they can be for God. And then I'm going to keep shifting because I'll also want my grandkids to go to this church. And someday I won't be able to make hide nor hair of what's going on in this place. And they'll do different things. They'll do methods, and I'll be like, I can't believe a ministry on TikTok is a thing. Like, that's not all. I hope I'm a gracious old person. There's a lot of gracious, older-than-me people in this church. I look at you, and I go, Lord, let me have a double portion of that. They get it. They've moved a little bit so I could come into this spot, but Lord, help me to move too so that millennials and Gen Z and generations yet unborn. You know, the Olympics, I watched the Olympics, and one of the things that happened so many times was people dropped the baton. I love the relay is my favorite thing in the Olympics because it's so exciting, the next leg of the relay. And it's, you always have the fastest runners at the end. I am believing for that at Hillcrest. Not the dropping the baton, but that the fastest runners are yet to come. The older generation, our job is to shift as much as we can, to embrace Jesus as much as we can, to exude, not just exude, to live in a passion for Jesus as much as we can. Because we will not we, we will not understand the methodologies of the future of how to get the job done. So I'm not trying to pass on, or Lord willing, more and more, I'm not trying to pass on, hey, I know how to run this or do this or network this or how things are going to work in the future. I'm going to be like, I don't even know how to do that thing. But I know passion for Jesus. I know passion for his kingdom. And that's what I want to pass on. And I think that's what we do 
pass on, right? In Deuteronomy 6, it just says, talk about these things. Impress them on your children, the commands of God. Impress them on your children. How do you impress them on your children? I'll tell you how my parents impressed it on me. One of the, this is a significant moment for me. My dad told me once, he said, I was reading that their eagerly desire uh, greater spiritual gifts. He said, I read that verse, and then I decided that in the next months ahead, I'm going to press into that and ask the Lord to give me greater spiritual gifts. It was just sort of a simple response. I remember going, wow. My dad told me, a lot of it was gobbledygook to me. I didn't know all of it. He told me he's still following Jesus and has a passion to grow. That's what's spiritually potent. So you need to do two things. Tell them the stories. Impress upon your children. Tell them the stories of when God was faithful when you were young or what God has done in your life or those moments he's touched your heart. Don't keep that hidden. Don't go to your grave with those as secrets. Talk about those things. But I want to tell you the second thing you need to talk about is how is God working in your life right now? The things that impressed me was when I found my grandpa's book collection and he just bought fresh books that had come in the mail and he probably never got to see them. And they were all about chasing hard after God in his 90s. And here's my dad wanting to learn from God in probably his 50s or 60s. Those were the moments. I was like, my parents, my grandparents, they're growing still. They're obeying still. They've got fresh marching orders from Jesus because they've been reading the Bible and they've been obeying. Still. They couldn't have taught me how to do word processing or how to surf the internet without being scammed. But that wasn't their role. Their role was to impress on me that that Jesus is great and glorious and worthy of giving your life for And I can figure out in my own generation how to match, it with, match that message with the methodology. And the next generation will figure out in their generation how to match that message with their methodology. There's lots of churches that have ceased to exist because they stopped at a certain generation. The baton pass, I keep thinking about the baton pass. It's not so much, okay, first you have to not drop the baton when you're receiving it, Right? But the other thing is, imagine a baton runner that's coming to give the baton and they decide at the last second, no, wait a second. So for the older generation, we can't hold on to the baton. We have to, I'm saying we, because I'm, I don't know, maybe 50, 50 gets me a discount at Humpty's, so I think it includes me. (laughs) If you're saying, you're so young, well, I am going to be 50, it's legitimate. If you want to see my driver's license after, because you totally disbelieve, I'll show you. But I have some gray hair. If you're young, would you receive the gift? Would you trust some leaders? The gift of what God wants to do in your life? Would you receive that gift? And run with it? Our hope, my hope, my hope, my hope, my hope, my hope is to become a forgotten footnote in your success. And I would hope that everyone who's in the 50 plus, which I'll soon be, would agree with that. We don't need to be remembered with, you know, all the stories. We don't, we try not to forget our Hillcrest history because it's really potent for us. But our hope is that we can get as much mission for Jesus, love for Jesus, DNA into our lives, packed into us in the years that we have left, so that you can see it and we can equip you to some degree. And then you will run in things that we only walked in. Because the missional DNA in you, if, listen to me if you're younger, will be more potent than the missional DNA that's in us. That, that's not us quitting. That's us striving. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. That's us striving. If you see us striving with everything that's in us, then with your energy and with your insight and methodology and idealism, You'll run in things younger than we did. We just figured them out when we were older, and we'll want to pass them on to you younger so that you run in them even younger. i got to go to the last one, and I'm just going to end with it really quickly. Here's our last 
core value. It's called inter interdependence. We deliberately choose kingdom unity, unity and impact. We value partnerships by working together and by sharing content, equipment, insights, experience, and workers across Hillcrest Ministries and beyond with other kingdom people and organizations. So we deeply value the partnerships we have in this city. We recognize the unique giftings and purposes of other ministries in this city. Some of them are parachurch organizations, Joe's Place, Kettleston Camp. They're awesome partners. We make lots of room for them because we really think they play a very important kingdom role. We want to build trust intentionally with other churches in this community. The body of Christ in Moose Jaw is not just Hillcrest. And though Hillcrest has a very vital role to play in this community, I believe that with all my heart. We're not the only ones who are trying to bring the kingdom of God in all of its its glory to this community. And so we're going to play well with others. We're going to build trusting relationships with others. You know, one of the things we did during COVID was when we had to make decisions, because we always had to make decisions, well, what are we going to do? we got these new guidelines. How are we going to implement that? We would check in with the other churches. Part of that was just because sometimes it was mystifying how to do all this stuff. But the other part of it is we did not want to create a crack of division between the churches. So I'd meet with other church leaders, and some of our staff would meet with other church leaders, and we'd just sit down and say, what are you guys doing? We don't want to, this is a divisive time. And we do not want people to be drawn into division. And so we want to be united in approaches that we do in this time. Because the last thing we want is, is, is fissures to be, cracks to appear in the body of Christ. Where people say, well, that church is like this, and this church is like that, and they're opposed to each other because of their, their, how they're doing things. We wanted to say, we're supposed to build up this body that's going to be strong for Jesus, and part of that building is unity. Unity and maturity. Equipped to do the mission, in the, and we could dissipate so much energy into conflict. So much energy could go into division. So much of, of, of the strength of the body could be sapped if we just turn on each other. And so we want to do whatever we can to be interdependent, to recognize and, and bless the other ministries in this city, to, to build trusting relationships. Proverbs, Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If you take that promise seriously, then you say, Hey, Let's bless other ministries. Let's share with other ministries. If we figure out something that works, let's tell them about it. If we've got equipment they could borrow, let's give it to them. And then let's not be just like we give to others. Let's receive. Let's learn. If someone else is ahead of us in some area, let's grow. Let's humble ourselves and say, hey, you've got some keys that are working for you. Help us too. And let's build the body of Christ in this community. So Hillcrest, you do these things. It's in our history. I don't have time to get into it now because I've used my time up, but it's in our history. 98 years as a church. We're still here 98 years from when we were founded in a theater downtown. So in two years, we hit 100. And if the next 100 is going to count at all, we have to continue to hold on to these values. Personal engagement a next-generation focus, and interdependence. It's all about having a great relationship in this team. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about where we're going. I'm going to talk to you about some of the mountains that are really dizzying mountains that I think God's calling us to take. So this vision is going to, going to roll out further. But I want to... I want to I mean, some of you just said, yeah, you, you described three things that they're all me. But maybe you heard one of those and you said, that's not me. I know I, I don't play well with others, with other ministries in town. Or I know, you know, I'm, I'm more territorial. I'm maybe not looking at the harvest and how big it is. I'm thinking more about how much flour we have in our bin. Or maybe you're saying that next generation focus, I... I maybe never heard it that way before, or maybe it just never resonated, or I never sort of saw how important it was. 
I need to shift somewhere that way. Or maybe it's just personal engagement. You say, I, I haven't really trusted leadership. I've held back. Maybe ask the Lord why. I mean, he can speak to you. Ask him why. Ask him why you're holding back. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening so well. This is, um, I went pretty long this morning, but I wanted to set the stage for some things that I think are absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial for blessing in your life, blessing in each other's lives, and for Jesus to receive what he deserves, for Jesus to be able to operate with what he deserves, for him to have a strong, united, mature, held together, built up, body to operate with. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth, we're his heart. Let's be as healthy as we can be. Let's be as effective as we can be. Let's be as equipped as we can be. Because he said this would be the greater era. This would be when greater things would be done. This would be when the nations would be discipled. And we want to be part of it. We don't want to be part of the the church that shrinks and fades and, and diminishes in strength. We want to be part of the overcoming church that he's building in this world. And it's be, it comes because every ligament, embrace the fact you're a ligament, you're a connector in the body of Christ. Every ligament, every part does its work. Let's pray. Lord, we just we lay before you this, this church and its history. We lay before you 98 years. We lay b- before you the, the call of God on O.J. Lovick when he was called from Regina to Moose John. He didn't even want to come, but you made it very clear he was to come here and initiate something here that we are a part of 98 years later. We lay before that, that history before you. Lord, on my heart is that whole thing about passing the baton well, receiving the baton well from those who've gone before us. So many who've gone before us have built well for our benefit. They didn't know us, they didn't see us, but they saw us in faith. And in faith, they built well. They said, someday there's going to be people in this church as part of this church family. And we see them growing. We see them vibrant. We see them strong in the Lord. We see them uh, pushing back darkness, overcoming the gates of hell, liberating people from darkness and despair, developing and growing people into maturity. People are becoming more and more like Jesus as as they age. They're becoming more and more like him. We see that in faith. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to have the same kind of faith as we look forward and see there are people who aren't here yet, but they will be a part of this family. They will be a part of this church. And Lord, I don't think your desire is for any church just to, to fade unless that church is disobedient or unrepentant. But your desire is for a church to respond to you, respond to your leadership. I pray as leaders in this church, we'd respond to your leadership. That's where it starts. Our submission to you, our recognition that you are the shepherd of this flock, and we're all under shepherds. <laughs> so, Lord, we lay Hillcrest before you. It's your church. It's your church. Would you guide? Would you direct? Would you give us resources? Would you provide what we need? We need understanding. We need insights. We need strategies. Lord, I think that we're going to roll out some in the next few days. I believe that you've given us. And so I thank you for those in advance, but we're going to need your leadership all the way through. It's not just that we have a plan and now we don't need you. We need you every hour. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. So God, would you lead us? That's my prayer. Would you lead us forward? You lead us as individuals in the way that we are ligaments, in the way I'm a ligament, in the way that we do our part. Would you lead us forward in the way that we look to the next generation? Don't forget about things and think that we're the generation that really matters. Lord, I pray that we'd have a heart for generations yet to come, and we'd invest and sacrifice for them. And Lord, I pray that our contribution in this city, in the greater body of Christ, would be one of great blessing 
and great partnership. I pray for great trust in this city. I pray for all the fracture lines the enemy wants to, to, to develop in the body of Christ, all the ways that he wants to divide and conquer. We come against that in the name of Jesus. And we say that we will instead unite around our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't unite around our political views. We don't, we don't share the same views. We don't unite around our view of the vaccine. We don't share the same views. We're not going to unite around those things. None of those things can unite us anyhow. We unite around our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are Lord. You are high and lifted up. And the nations, we pray for the nations to come streaming to you. We pray that we as a church would shine a light on this hill that is so clearly seen. It's seen clearly that we love God and we love our neighbor. It's absolutely unmistakable that those who are spiritually hungry would know where to go. They'd know where to go. They'd say, I'm hungry. I'm missing. I'm, I need something. But it would become clear that there's some people who they aren't perfect, but they're chasing you. So we submit... And we dedicate this church to you again. Have your way with it. We look forward to the ways in which you're going to lead us in the days to come. Keep us sensitive to your whispers, to your guidance, to your nudges. Help us walk together in unity. Help us to overlook tiny offenses and just love on each other and encourage each other so we won't be, we won't be fooled, we won't be tricked but we'll be built up in love. Ask all these things in your precious name. Anyone else? Would you like to say amen? Amen. Help us worship Jesus. That'd be great. We <laughs> sing. I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand And I don't always get to see But I will believe it I will believe it You make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise You shake prison walls
Thanks for being with us here.